Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, was the death of a corrections officer linked to his investigation into abuse and corruption inside California's most violent prison? We'll discuss the podcast on our watch, New Folsom from KQED. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband. And love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Beck, if I were to be locked up with anybody, I would want to be locked up with you. Oh, That's so weird. What a weird thing to say. I just feel like we're back in quarantine. I'm just like... <laughs> Such a, a weird, pres- weird Real, thing to like, say. Really? Like, I'm trying to say something nice? I think it's nice. Yeah. I think it's nice. Okay. Laura, <laughs> if I were to be locked up with anybody... <laughs> And it couldn't be Rebecca. It would be you. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. But you're allergic to cats. I don't know how that would go. Yeah, it would be a long sentence. <laughs> I don't know if they let cats in prison, Laura. Therapy cats. It's like parolees and pit bulls. <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, you almost missed the podcast taping today. What was going on with you? For some reason, I thought it was at half past the hour and not top of the hour, because usually I think I usually send out an invitation for half past the hour. And, mm. uh, so I was just working under that assumption, but I was wrong. Yes. It was top of the hour. Yes. And everybody else knew that. And for a change, I was like, hey, aren't we taping at top of the hour? And Kevin was like, no, it's at top of the hour 30. And I was like, top of the hour 30? You want to check that? I mean, 30. <laughs> God damn it. I get an alert on my phone now because you send out an invitation to us on the Google Calendar. So my phone went ding, ding. Yeah. Podcast taping. Well, I apparently did not get the same reminder. <laughs> or I did and completely ignored you it. you did not accept the invitation because you sent it. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. We did a funny thing today. We were taping a different podcast and um, I am like COVID just about negative today. But Kevin had set it up so that we could tape the Netflix podcast in separate rooms because, you know, germs, but also because he wanted to see how it would work. So I was recording down here in the studio and he was producing from up at his office. So he had no control over what happened. (laughs) It was awesome for me. How did that work for you? 
Well, there were some technical difficulties, Rebecca, that we'll have to talk about later. <laughs> and I had some issues with your performance, but again, we'll talk about that later. Talk about that in my mid-year review? Yes. All right. Your midweek review, actually. <laughs> Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's podcast. It is. What's coming up on next Monday's program? On Monday, we're going to be talking about the Max uh, documentary. It's called They Called Him Mostly Harmless. All right, I think it's time to talk about a thing we're going to talk about and change the mood a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip. Leading off. And, she, and I, she's like, what happened? And she goes, what do you, how did this happen? I was like, I don't know, but it's his job. And I just kept saying, it's his job. This is all because of his job. She goes, where does he work? And I'm like, he works at CDCR. When Valentino Rodriguez Jr. died, his family believed it had something to do with his time in an elite investigative unit inside New Folsom Prison. He'd been driven out of the job by other corrections officers Valentino believed were behind the abuse of prisoners. They use force and send people to the hospital three times more than any other prison in the state. This was stunning to us. I've done a lot of reporting in prisons, and Julie's been reporting on prisons for even longer. But New Folsom just wasn't on our radar in the same way. KQED reporters Suki Lewis and Julie Small began to dig through reams of newly released documents and interview tapes, hoping to shed light on what was happening in California's most violent prison. Meanwhile, with guidance from Valentino's mentor, Val Sr. launched his own investigation into his son's final days with the help of an insider. When a death is so unexpected and its timing feels so coincidental, it's bound to raise questions. Some of them are big and unknowable. But there are others that do have answers. Season two of KQED's On Our Watch, New Folsom, tells the tale of two corrections officers struggling with the pattern of violence and a culture of silence within the high security facility. The hosts investigate the challenges they faced and follow in their footsteps to uncover the secrets hidden inside the most dangerous prison in the Golden State. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from the first three episodes of On Our Watch. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, if you want good journalism in your podcast, you're going to get it with this podcast, right? Oh, yeah. No, you know, this is going into it. We listen to so many different podcasts in what we do here. But this is one that I call like it's very methodical. It's well sourced. It's investigative journalism. It's not flashy, but it's got so much information. We get the premise right up front that the prison has a cause of death. The father of this gentleman who died doesn't agree with that. The tagline, I think, is very appropriate. You know, who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself? So we know there's suspected cover-up is what it sounds like. And we have a grieving parent on a quest for justice who kind of admits that he sounds like sort of a bit of a stereotype out of a true crime show, but a grieving parent who has got a lot of information by the time these journalists are meeting up with him for this podcast. We also have a grieving wife, Kevin. Um, Val's wife was only married to him for a month before she found him dead in their home that she had moved into with him. What did you think about the opening of this podcast? Because it's pretty astonishing. It was a super strong opening, seeing that 911 call. On the call, she's like, hello, and I go, come, please, like, please help me. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. 
this is happening. He's dead. Please. Please help me. Please. What happened? And I'm screaming and I, I go and I grab him and I pull him back. And I put his head back and he has vomit coming out of his mouth. I don't know a stronger way to pull somebody in and make us feel for Valentino. He really seemed to be like a very gentle soul. Someone who might be a little vulnerable. I'm not sure at all how being a corrections officer was the right fit for him, let alone holding like a position that was going to like alienate him from most of the other workforce as like an investigator that's sometimes a internal affairs investigator. He just seemed he loved it, but it just didn't seem like it was the kind of work for him. And especially towards the end, we we get to see why. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's I can't remember like a beginning of a podcast like that recently. Now, Toby. On our last episode, we talked about a podcast that none of us really connected emotionally with, right? And in this podcast, we have primary sources. We have Valentino Jr.'s wife and Valentino Sr., his father, who does a lot of the unpacking of this story and has a lot of information and is a primary source for the podcast. What do you think about Valentino Sr.'s inclusion in the podcast to such a great extent and what he in particular brings to this story? Yeah, so I I think what's really good about this is that sometimes it feels as though there's like this interesting story that somebody has and that they try and like make it into more of an institutional story to kind of give it more relevancy. In this case, I think it's sort of a perfect match between uh, the story of Valentino and then looking at New Folsom Prison. The father has done an amazing amount of investigation himself, including contacting and then becoming friends with a guy who his son was, I guess, sort of working with in the prison to try and expose some of the corruption and abuse that was going on there. For me, it totally worked to have him be like one of the major voices in kind of teasing out what's happening. Although he doesn't, he doesn't sort of dominate the whole thing. I mean, right. I think there's a really good balance between him and some of the other talking heads, but then especially uh, Suki. So, so it, I, I thought it worked really well. There is a certain amount of, and I'm thinking it's maybe end of episode two, beginning of episode three, where they go into a little bit more about Valentino and his relationship with his wife and getting married and trying to give you a portrait of the man. I think there's always like this, at least for me, this tension between trying to humanize the victim or the, or the central character and like how much time you devote to it. And in this case, like one of my few like little criticisms is that I felt like it went on a little bit long, but it wasn't the kind of vanilla portrait that you often get in these situations. Like I kind of came away feeling like I sort of understood his personality, some of his struggles in addition to his strengths. It's not a everybody lit up when he walked into the room type of portrait so yeah, I mean, I, I I think they did an excellent job sort of involving the father in the telling of his son's story. I agree. And I will tell you, I, dis- I disagree with your, that one criticism you made because I think that, that that telling about Valentino is also a story about Mimi because I think that the story of their relationship is important because it, there's a subtle, very subtle thread here about Mimi's relationship with Val's parents, which is sort of hinted at 
but they don't really explore it. Like she's very hurt. I mean, you get the sense that they don't dislike each other, but that they never had the opportunity to get close because they were newly married. And then his like celebration of life happened where they got married. And like, it just isn't, it's an illustration of distance between them. That's just really poignant and sad. I think that that bit there really like underlines it. And it has to do with like the ripples of trauma from this. That's just so lovely. And it like, it just, it it broke my heart because I just felt alone. I felt really lonely. His family, very nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. Very kind people. But I don't want to sit next to his grandma per se when I can just sit next to him. I will say, Laura, this podcast to me could have been a clinical, very like public radio boring look at a systemic issue that just talks about a larger story that takes Valentino's story. That's the first episode and then goes boom into the bigger story. They're continuing to follow these people. Valentino's story, then Michael Steele's story, and then through Mimi's eyes and through his dad's eyes, the scene setting, the, you know, the pool company, how they all work together and how he came to work for them for a short period of time and was kind of almost out. It feels like a movie. I feel that the, the, the tension building with this Michael Steele story, like the sort of conspiracy of what's behind the death, the, the finding of the drugs in his house. Like, I just feel like this thing is very, very dynamic because of the people Um, I'm just curious what you think about like, you know, I hate calling them characters because they're real people, but that's the word that they use when they're sort of building scripts around these things. But the characters that we've met, the way they're being employed and just like the scene setting is I just think there's a lot of suspense in here that doesn't need to be here in a story like this, but they've managed to find it. Oh, right. I agree with you because I was very I was like really rooting for Steele as he feels like they're making progress. And then you find out actually, no. And then Steele like leaves the state and goes to Missouri. He has this plan. He's taking all his vacation time and he's like leaving. And you're like, oh, my God. So that definitely sucked me in. And I think also hearing from Mimi throughout this about when she's moving out of the house they lived in. She didn't want to go, but whoever was helping her like ripped up the carpets. And then they find this like balloon of what later turns out to be some sort of drugs. And where did that come from? And these reporters are just bagging this up and sending it to a lab that law enforcement uses to get tested. Like that was like, I was surprised by that. It was amazing. So yeah, I think there's definitely, because of the human element here, that does bring more suspense to the story. And I think it's based on that though. I I mean, I do see a, a, a place where they could tie this into the bigger issue because this particular prison has had so many issues. And this is something that Suki and Julie had talked about, like trying to report on for a long time, which is why they were already interested in this issue when they heard about this story. Yeah, there's this upcoming twist with uh, Sergeant Steele, which I won't spoil, but he's like completely comfortable being this whistleblower, right? This is how I imagine Wyrick would be if he were a corrections officer. Yep. <laughs> Just very straight lace. Um, But, like, his relationship with Val Sr. is very compelling. Like, I wonder how much of it is sort of, like, born out of guilt for what happened to to Valentino. Even the character, like, the way that they sort of set his character is so full. By the way, he signs, he he does sign all of his text, Steel. Yes, I was about to say that, Great character detail, right? I know, Incredible character detail. I always sign all of my emails, Flynn. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's not true. No. No, that's not true. I usually would just send like, uh, best wishes, Kevin, thank you for joining our Patreon. Yes, Kevin. Now we're in our business section suddenly. Yes, that's nice what all transition. that music means. You can get episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad-free by joining us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media get uh, almost 500 exclusive podcast episodes podcasts like the crime writers on after show leave it to bricker in the latest leave it to bricker holy shit laura bricker takes us to the diaper spa where not gonna kink shame but this is very funny to me uh, <laughs> that's kink shaming. That's kink shaming. <laughs> well, let's just put it this we gotta way: we got to be able to laugh at something. It's not the it's not the kink shaming. It's the way that they describe it themselves is funny. Which is exactly what I say in this latest episode of right. Movie to Bricker. This isn't a spoiler. It's that there are perhaps like legitimate therapeutic reasons that people might be going there. However, this lady did herself no favors <laughs> by the way that she worded her website, making it sound like a den of sex. So <laughs> There are therapeutic reasons why people might go and yes. dress up like babies yes. with diapers. Not people who are incontinent, but... No, like people that had like trauma early uh-huh. in life, like in their infant toddler times might need to like go back and have a happy infant toddler time and like for a therapeutic reason. But that is not the way it was described on her website. And it just gets weirder and weirder. Hey, but if it is about sex, that's okay too. But also, that's also not how it's described on the website. It's called a spa. She lives in a neighborhood with an HOA where, for crying out loud, you probably need a permit for a lemonade stand. So you think you can open a diaper spa? We also have Just Toby saying. Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. <laughs> Toby's next review, he's got a, uh, ooh, a a panel of, I think, about five or six people, and they're all going to be talking about, for the first time, a movie. It's going to take six people. It's, it's, yeah, take it's, it. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Toby, it's actually interesting because you actually reviewed this book several years ago for the deep dive, right? I think it was like maybe the third or fourth deep dive ever. Do you remember how where you came down on the book? I think people basically liked it, right? I mean, it's it's David Grant wrote the book and he's awesome, but it was Rebecca and me and Connie Walker and I can't remember who else. I think it was Sarah D. Bunting, and I don't think we liked the book. So you didn't much. like the book that much? I don't. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember either. Yeah, the movie's the movie's a little bit of a hot mess, in my opinion. I don't know if anybody else <laughs> so has, the book in my has watched it. I mean, if you if you want to experience the trauma of uh, atrocities against Native Americans through the eyes of Leonardo DiCaprio, then this is the movie for you. Um, but I think there's a lot to talk about. So that's, what, that's what's going on this month. Elsewhere in Partners in Crime Media World, we have the new episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. We're looking at an episode of criminal intent that has to do with, you know, uh, parents killing off other rich parents so their little kids can get into preschool. And uh, Goran uh, thinks that he knows who the killer is, but then he changes his mind because she takes diuretics and she can only poop at home. (laughs) Have a listen. <laughs> Do you realize how close we all came to a wrongful conviction? Because you have to go in court and say, Your Honor, I'm sorry, she has a shy sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if she cannot shit, you must acquit. <laughs> <laughs>
It's so good. I love that episode. I love making the podcast about it, and I love watching the episode. We also have an Amazon storefront. This is new. It's where you can see some of our favorite things. Rebecca, what do you have at this week's Amazon storefront recommendations? Charlotte Tilbury Pillow Talk Medium Lipstick. Mm, And what are the listener-inspired Toby Ball's deep cut recommendations? Uh, Well, Kevin, we've got uh, the... Yves Saint Laurent YSL Lash Clash Mascara Volume Extreme Mini Travel Size Small 2 mil, two ML 0.06 FLOZ I say that loud because it's all in caps mm-hmm. And then also I don't even know what this is Safe Pranks colon, Everybody has fun Nobody gets hurt <laughs> yeah, Sounds great uh, So make sure you shop uh, us first At Amazon.com slash shop Slash Crime Writers On. We earn commissions on qualified purchases. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Peggy Delaney and Britta Mueller. Bless you. Peggy, Britta, thanks so much for joining us on Patreon. Congratulations on being our saints of the week. And those of you who haven't been picked as saints yet, I keep telling Kevin to pick you. It's not my fault. It's Kevin's fault. Join us on Patreon. You too could be a saint someday. Like you're supposed to put it in a text message <laughs> and then sign it. Lavoy. Lavoy. Yeah, and then I'll get it. Okay. Thanks for listening to the business section, everyone. I'm going to fade that music out right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. So, Joby, you had thoughts about Steele, who we were talking about right before the break. Uh, what were those thoughts? Well, I have kind of a question for you guys, which is I was initially kind of had a sinking feeling that Kevin Steele wasn't who he was making him out to be. And Same. I thought some of the suspense 
in the podcast was like this sort of sense of dread, like this is not going to go well. Like it, it actually takes a while for him to eventually he he turns over this nine page document where he lays out all these allegations against people working in uh, New Folsom for at least for me to feel like, okay, he actually is an ally and he's not just some guy who's stringing Valentino along to show that he is the leak. Right. So anyway, I thought that was another thing that was handled really well in the podcast is that you do, or at least I had like real questions about his sincerity and it would have been easy enough just to introduce him as a guy who is like on the right side of things, but instead they leave it ambiguous until I would assume like Valentino was himself convinced. Why wouldn't you have questions about his sincerity? I mean, I have questions about the veracity of the alleged suicide of Valentino Jr. I I don't think it's possible to not have questions about that. I know that Kevin is less inclined to have questions about it than I do. But um, But I have a question. I mean, in the end, did they not say it was an overdose? Of fentanyl. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but, no, but I mean, I'm not talking about the manner of death. The cause of death is yes. an overdose. Okay. Yes, yes. It was it was an overdose of fentanyl, and I don't think he thought he was taking fentanyl. I mean, I think that a lot of people don't think that they're taking fentanyl when they're taking fentanyl. It didn't sound like he'd used fentanyl before. It sounded like he had used opioids before, but not mm-hmm. fentanyl before, in pill form potentially, right? So, because um, he had been prescribed pills, it was like that was part of the story. And then he had taken other pills. But like... I don't think it's a stretch and we can, you know, we can talk, we can disagree about this. Well, then let's disagree about it. I absolutely do not think it's a stretch to wonder whether or not he was murdered. I don't think that's a stretch. And I, and I don't think his father is thinking wildly or fantastically when he asked that same question. Um, Am I alone? And like, I mean, I'm not saying that's definitely what happened, but I don't think it's a stretch to have that question. What do you guys think? I don't think it's a stretch because as I was listening to this and I was listening to sort of the setup and then I'm listening to things happening inside this prison that definitely shouldn't be happening. Murders. Yeah. And you find out that the timing, you know, he's right about to blow the whistle. So you say, okay, maybe he's stressed out. And he was like, I'm pretty stressed out because I'm going to blow the whistle. So I'm going to take off the edge with the little drugs. Or somebody could be like, hey, here you go. And he may not have even known what he was taking. Do you know? I, I just, he had just he had just had that meeting with the warden. Yeah. So I, I just I feel like not to be all like conspiracy theory, but I don't think it's all conspiracy theory. I think based on other evidence that we've heard about other things that were happening, you could draw a conclusion that there is more to this story. But whether it will ever come out, I mean, with the code of silence, I, I, I you know, that remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, you work with people who bragged about committing the perfect murder, right, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, to answer your first question, I don't know in that specific case, but it certainly seems like something that everybody feels is possible retribution for crossing the guards there, right? I mean, Kevin Steele moves to Missouri to get away from everything because he feels like he's in danger. So, I, I mean, there's certainly an atmosphere in which that was like a possibility that people considered sort of one of the central pieces of this, maybe the central piece of action is this guy Aguilar who is just brutally murdered by three other inmates. And initially you find out that the guard who's, who's on watch, there's like a protocol for what you're supposed to do in those situations that he did not follow 
and kind of let these guys murder this inmate. And then later there's sort of more stuff comes out that makes you think, or, or at least builds this case that, that guards were probably complicit in this murder. And this is, you know, it seems like the biggest charge that Valentino's got and then steel includes in this nine page document that he distributes is this murder that quite likely was set up by the guards there. And it was certainly like, I I think you can't question the fact that it was facilitated by them, even if they didn't actually make the initial decision to have this guy killed. The list touches on nearly every aspect of the institution. His language is forceful. He names names and points fingers. You should consider the very likely possibility that during your superintendence of CSP Sacramento, more staff will be charged for criminal activity than any other institution within the state. So, Kevin, Val was being cyberbullied horribly at work. Yeah. There's, there's evidence of that. Um, he has this murder on video of this mm-hmm. man, Aguilar, being stabbed. We know he just met with the warden, like, right before... He was found dead in his own house. And he said he was feeling better after having met with the warden and unburdened himself. Then he's found dead at home by his wife of an overdose of fentanyl. What do you think about the fact that people have that question, that that they're wondering whether or not it could have been a homicide? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I'm going to say it's fine to speculate. I, I see why people would, you know, especially when there was all this other horrible, dangerous stuff going on outside at his former job. But as far as like the conspiracy itself, like I'm not I'm not buying it, at least not yet. I'm not yet convinced that Valentina was sort of set up by someone from the prison with fentanyl. So he would overdose. So he spent the day calling as many people as he could to score. And there is this one burner phone. I think that like in order to buy it, you have to like say the burner phone. That person was the person who gave him intentionally fentanyl or something that was you know meant to kill him so if that is like somebody from the prison is he trying to reach out to him on a burner phone if this is somebody that he knows and is in this group text and everything like that i i wouldn't call i when i try to get a hold of toby i wouldn't think to call a burner phone even you would if toby was selling drugs on the side yeah that just so he's a drug dealer that's like gonna just like set him to me it's not plausible other people can think that but it is possible we know he's been having a problem with drugs he got pulled back into it i i think it's possible that valentino wasn't murdered but that doesn't mean the pain he was going through wasn't real and that he reverted to his old drug habit to medicate and that doesn't mean that the misconduct that he had been preoccupied with wasn't happening or wasn't extreme the bottom line is he doesn't have to be a murder victim to be a victim of the system. Yeah. You, you brought up the cyberbullying part because we focus a lot on cyberbullying among like school children, but the same actions and reactions can happen with adults in the workplace, especially in a high stress job. He was on this toxic text thread with coworkers. It seemed like the worst thing. It just is like a junior high school, like girl group bad. It just creates a feeling of isolation and depression when it happens to adults as well as children. And it clearly manifested in like his weight gain and his drug use. So, I mean, that is part of, I think, of what happened. And we either have to believe that it was an accidental overdose or like you say, he committed suicide. Does he die by suicide because guards gave him fentanyl that he knew was, I mean, it just, it just seems like 
there's not enough there yet for me to go along with that. Right. Well, we don't know when he died. We don't know if there was anybody else present when he died. There's a lot of questions that we don't know sure. the answer to. And I think that there's an upcoming thing in the story that may ask lead us to ask more questions that we haven't talked about yet. Um, so, Laura, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, Valentino has all of this evidence on his phone, right? And it seems like the FBI is involved in investigating the prison murders. They're investigating at one point. They're looking into Valentino's death. And the father, you know, approaches these journalists with initially some caution because he's obviously talked to other people before and hasn't gone anywhere. Are you surprised by how much evidence he has and about the fact that the FBI doesn't seem to think there's anything there? Because as a listener, just hearing what they've shared with us, which we know can't be everything, it seems like there's plenty of there there to at least like do something about this murder in this prison, right? Well, you would think so. Um, the, the murder of Luis uh, Giovanni Aguilar, there's, there's a lot. You have, obviously, it's on video. The guard doesn't follow the protocol. You hear about these other inmates getting out of their shackles like the week before and like trying like almost like a test run. He literally would shrug his shoulders and cover his neck while they were trying to stab him in the neck. And then they would go back down to the chest and then he would try to cover his chest by concaving his chest inward and then he'd go back to his neck and it was just back and forth till finally the kid threw himself on the floor and they uh, proceeded to just stab him to the point to where the knives were literally hitting the ground because every time they pulled up, his body would go up with it. And then you hear that his mother now has an attorney. So you know that attorney is pushing this case. So it's like part of me thinks like, okay, if the civil case is proceeding with, with his family and then they also proceed with the criminal case prior to that civil case being settled, that gives that civil case more ammunition in a way to sort of be more valid. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, well, look at this. This, If they're like, well, this this case wasn't pursued um, or this case was dropped or whatever. And you hate to think that that is what's motivating something like this for not going ahead. But it seems crazy when you hear about this. I mean, this is like a horrific murder. And the, the, the way they describe it, like that they've stabbed him so many times that it's just like hitting the floor and he's over. I mean, it's like, it's not like a short quick murder. It is a violent, violent murder caught on camera. And then you have, like I said, this other information about like, okay, like was nobody paying attention when these other guys just like, hey, look, I can take my shackles off and walk around the prison. Like <laughs> what's going on in there? Do you think they dropped those shackles like uh, the the Dr. Death season, the magician from yeah, Dr. They, like, Death season four? Yeah. The swing. It's like a David Copperfield. Exactly. Yeah. Houdini. Wholesome prison but like it just seems crazy to me so i i whenever and i say this every time we listen to something like this like what is the publicity from this podcast and is that going to get some traction to seeing something happen here because you can feel for valentino senior who takes a long time before he agrees to actually talk to these journalists hoping that something's going to happen but also really not trusting them and so you kind of hope he trusted them he opened up he shared all the information This story is now out there. What's going to happen? You know what I mean? I love when he asked them, um, is this the biggest story that you've ever done? I love that. Yes. Um, One final question, Toby. There's just so much reflexive defensiveness. We hear it over and over and over again. Uh, Early on in his time in the squad, uh, Val Jr. 
witnesses a prisoner getting roughed up is told to lie about it um, in his report and, you know, in front of the prisoner complaint, when a prisoner makes the complaint, he's told to lie. We hear about it and Michael Steele sends the warden and sends the prison commission the complaints from Missouri where he has fled to because he's afraid for his own safety. And then the following day, there's a sign put up saying he's no longer allowed on the property. Um, so just the, the reflexive defensiveness when things are pointed out, things that are provably true and people try to do the right thing, um, what is your reaction to that? Well, I think I've talked about this before that, you know, institutions kind of by their nature protect themselves. Even at times when, when people have the best of intentions, that will become the overriding priority is to maintain the institution. Like I would just kind of expect it in a place like a prison where there is all this violence and corruption, both among inmates and staff is, is that there is some effort to cover it up and for ramifications for people who do talk about it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new podcast from KQED? It's called On Our Watch. It's season two of that show, New Folsom. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this season of On Our Watch? Um, So thumbs up. So we've listened to three episodes of this podcast so far, and I'm really curious to see where it goes next. I think this is a very well done journalistic investigative podcast with really great sourcing a lot of interesting people that are connected to this case as voices, a lot of supporting documentation. And I think this is a story that needs to be told because I think the more awareness that is out there about what's happening that is detailed in this podcast, the more likely 
something will change or something will be done. So it's one of those like good old rage walking podcasts where it's something where I'm like, whoop, something happening in the criminal justice system that makes me wild and also really sad. It's a really sad story on many levels. So it's a thumbs up from me. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for On Our Watch, New Folsom. Yeah, I'm actually a big thumbs up. I'm really into this. It just makes a lot of the right choices, in my opinion, on things both big and small. There are enough sort of nuanced aspects to this podcast that could easily have just not been included or been handled in sort of a, a less insightful way. And it just, you know, time and again, you just get these little pieces of insight or either understanding or, or sometimes not understanding of a relationship that could be presented as being very straightforward, but in fact is not. And they managed to get it across without detracting from the larger narrative thrust of the story. The story itself is incredible. I think the the journalism is great in uh, Valentino Sr., the, the father of the uh, sort of deceased central character is he's a compelling person in and of his own and and you know it sort of furthers the portrait of his son and what his son was like and what his son was trying to accomplish uh within the prison um so anyway i i just think in things large and small uh they do a great job the story is compelling it's not forced like it makes sense to tell the story about the corruption in this prison through this one prison employee's story, uh, it works perfectly. And so, yeah, I just, I, I can't imagine this not being a top 10 at the end of the year. I thought this was great. Kevin Flynn. Well, Rebecca, I think so far, so far, this podcast is flawless. I, we didn't even get to talk about uh, Suki Lewis and her team. And it just, it, they sound great. The transparency around the reporting is excellent, as well as your judgment Everyone knows sort of the ground rules. The reporters are going to take like all the same evidence and their own evidence collected by Valsina. They're going to do their own like parallel investigation. And, you know, I think it moves forward very well. I agree. This is definitely going to be on some of the top lists. And I really want to continue this journey into darkness. But it is reasonable to wonder how the reporters will end this story. Is there a plausible conclusion to the question of like, why are prisons so bad? Uh, so beyond the reporting, there is a storytelling challenge that this podcast will have to confront at the end. So I'm saying don't flub the landing. Hey, now. Um, <laughs> so is that a thumbs up, Kevin? Oh, yeah. That's a big thumbs up. <laughs> um, so I went on a podcast a few months ago called Podcast Perspectives, and I talked about this one specific thing, which is that public radio stations, not NPR, Public radio stations are the best positioned in the podcast industry right now to make the very best serial work. This is a perfect example of why. This is in-depth, gorgeous reporting. This, this story so far to me is perfectly told. This is the best podcast I've listened to in a really long time, the episodes we've heard. It's incredibly human, incredibly suspenseful. I mean, it's important, but it's also a great listen, which not everybody can pull off, but a really, really good like narrative public radio reporter can because that's where the training goes and like that's where the ear goes. So like in a time and place where 
studios are really pulling back on their narrative work because they don't find it monetizable and blah, 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 blah. Public radio stations should be doing this work. You can put it on the radio. You can put it in your podcast feed. You can make digital stories out of it. And you have multiple ways to monetize it. You can do ads. You can do grants. You can go to major donors and say, look at this great work that we did. Do more of this. This is your mission. And this is what everyone who listens to podcasts wants to hear. This show is going to be a hit show, not because KQED made it, but because it is a fucking great show. Huge, huge, huge thumbs up for me for the season of On Our Watch. I cannot imagine that I will listen to a better podcast soon or that I've listened to one recently. I mean, maybe I will. Who knows? I'm optimistic. Huge thumbs up for me for On Our Watch, New Folsom. It's just absolutely fantastic. And congratulations to everybody who worked on it. I think that's going to be the pull quote on their website. It's great fucking podcast. <laughs> that's the public radio way. They're going to use that in their next fun drive. That's right. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, we have to ask, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week. It's it's a cat that's live. I'm going to preface that because I know we don't like cats. This cat doesn't have a terminal illness. Thank you. Yeah. This cat comes to us from Erica Vanover. Erica sends in a picture of Quentin. He turns 15 on February 3rd. So oh, he, he does have a terminal illness. He's old. 15th birthday. <laughs> he, but he lost both of his siblings in 2023 and now has to put up with Erica all by himself. And Erica says, I'm a lot. Please avoid this view of Quentin on his pile of cozy blankets. He is very spoiled. He's a very cute cat. <laughs> so, so I Laura, like Laura. Laura, Laura, Laura you start off by saying, no, it's not a dead cat. It's but then you two go dead to, cats. It was, you had two other dead cats. <laughs> but they're not cats of the week. <laughs> the Quentin worst. is living. You are the best of betrayal. It's a fucking betrayal. That's All God right. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you with their very much alive animals to be <laughs> Cat of the week it does not have to be a cat. It does not have to be any Pets in morning. <laughs> I would just you know ask one favor was that can we just have a few happy stories, please? You can find <laughs> yeah. Laura where Laura can you be found? I can be found at Laura Bricker on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or of course you can submit them to our Facebook group, Toby Ball. If folks want to reach out to you or just see what you have to say, how can you be found? Um, my first question is, do those crack bears from last episode count as happy, happy pets of the week? <laughs> they do. Yeah, they're very happy. Yeah. They're fake. I would think they don't so. exist. Well, you know, sometimes the <laughs> happiest some things lo- are like that. Let's be real. It's just some lawmaker who wants lax hunting laws. Let's be completely You don't real. want to know how they get the money to buy the crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I f- One quarter I feel like tax. he didn't get a joke yeah. at some point. Um, uh-huh. uh, at Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or everywhere else you want to be talking about podcasts and dogs with me, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. You can also follow us on YouTube, by the way. But mostly, I encourage you, all of you, to join our incredible Facebook group. Everyone is in it says it is the best group on Facebook. And I have to say, I agree. I belong to a lot of groups. I don't see one that's better than ours. Just find us on Facebook. 
Facebook. There's directions for how to join our group. If you can name any one of the four of us, we will let you in. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show right now. Plus, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn, who needs a watch. This show is recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also have a mean-spirited group text thread about Kevin. You guys suck. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. KQED reporters Suki Lewis and Julie Small begin to dig through... <laughs> Sorry. KQED reporters Suki Lewis and Julie Small... BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.